Welcome to the world of critical care. Today is the concluding episode of our four-part series on blood products and critical care. The discussion of platelets today, I think it's very easy to end up having a very long episode because of how critical platelets are in the clotting cascade. And so I'm going to very intentionally not discuss the clotting cascade today. And the, and the reason behind that is that I'm the future episodes I have planned are going to be a 20-minute overview of the clotting cascade and then multiple episodes digging deeper into our clotting cascade, looking at coagulopathies, looking at some of our primary labs we use to measure coagulation and anticoagulation. And then that'll go into a discussion of anticoagulation and then antiplatelet therapies. And so today's episode will generally kind of skim over the clotting cascade, but that's because it's going to be coming up in the future. And so I really want to hone in on kind of a broad overview of why we administer platelets and then really the specific concerns we have behind platelets. So platelets are known as thrombocytes and with platelets, they're, they're pretty interesting. So platelets, again, are derived from our, our bone marrow and they're specifically the growth is stimulated by thrombopoietin, which is produced in the liver. Those platelets come from megakaryocytes. And it's interesting because the megakaryocytes, that basically the platelets kind of like fragment off from them. And one megakaryocyte is able to produce about 1,000 to 3,000 platelets. Now, these platelets are in our circulatory system typically for about five to seven days. They don't have a super long lifespan. Our platelets are stored in our spleen. So if we have extra platelets, they're going to be in our spleen. And then at the end of their life through phagocytosis, they're removed in our spleen and in our liver. Now, our platelets have no cell nucleus, but what's unique about them is that inside of them, they have a significant amount of organelles and granules. They have ADP, serotonin, calcium, factor V, factor VIII. They also have, of course, mitochondria, and they have what's really important are these microtubules, microfilaments. And it's important because when these platelets become activated after they've adhered to a potential injury to the endothelium, these proteins are able to actually change the shape that the platelets essentially kind of grow those tentacles in the clotting process. And so what's inside our platelets is critical to their function. Now, before that occurs, our platelets are normally these nice bioconcave discs. And they are critical in two areas. So one we kind of mentioned right now was our clotting cascade, which we know and we'll talk about in the future. We can't clot without platelets. But they're also very important in our immune process. So they're highly involved in innate immunity. They actually are able to bind to pathogens. And we often see that with infection. We often see a decrease in our platelet counts. Um, they've seen actually platelet leukocyte aggregates, and they'll see that with, they'll see clumping of those around bacterial infections. They're able to interact with leukocytes. Um, that actually helps with the secretion of cytokines and chemokines, platelet-derived growth factors, and it's really surprising how critical platelets are in our immune response. And so platelets are something that in our bloodstream provides critical critical support to our body. 
Now, when we think about platelets, we need to think about how they're measured. And so typically when we think about platelets, we measure them in terms of platelets per microliter. So typically our normal range is 150,000 platelets per microliter up to 450,000 platelets per microliter. Now, a lot of times people drop the thousand, so you'll hear it referred to as 150 to 450. Anything above this level is called thrombocytosis. And then anything below this is called thrombocytopenia. And there's, of course, different levels of thrombocytopenia. We can have mild, moderate, or severe. So mild's typically 100 to 150, 50,000 up to 100,000 where we're moving into the more moderate. It's more severe when we're under 50,000. And under 10,000, we are really, really... Now, when we look at a situation such as thrombocytosis, we're probably not really considering platelet transfusion. We've got an elevated level. Let's move now into thrombocytopenia. Now, thrombocytopenia, what we want to think about is why are our platelets low? And so one, we want to think about that absolute number, but we also want to think about the trend. The trends are really important. That's why when I look at labs, I like to look at multiple days worth of labs. I think it's valuable too, because when we're looking at our labs, you know, we could have a patient that was 410,000, but then the next day they're 230,000. That's a pretty significant delta. Whereas we have a patient that's sitting in the ICU at 75,000 for the last week and a half, it's a little low, but we're not, that's not as concerning per se. And that really guides your investigation. It's especially when, true when you start thinking about what could be leading to the decrease in platelets. Do we have signs for active infection? As we mentioned before, like a significant bacterial or viral infection, a septic response can decrease our platelets. Do we have signs of that? Did we just start heparin? Did we see a greater than 50% drop in our platelets after initiation of heparin? Okay, we could have heparin-induced thrombocytopenia. Do we have a situation where we know that we've possibly introduced a medication that could also decrease our platelets. And this gets into sort of the the bifurcated way we look at the thrombocytopenia. So a lot of times we can think of it in terms of a production issue versus a consumption issue. So a production issue is do we have something decreasing the production of our platelets? Do we have a bone marrow disorder of some sort? Are we taking in a specific substance or nutritional deficiency that's leading to a decrease in platelets. Conversely, do we have a consumption? And like I said, is that that active infection, are we are we having it from a medication that's causing that decrease in platelets? Did we have a situation where we had a hemorrhage? Is there some sort of hemorrhage we're not seeing? Are we having a patient who's been on ECMO for two to three weeks? Well, that can lead to a decrease in platelets over time. Do we have a patient who's on significant mechanical support? So you might have dual dual devices in a patient, or you're on, you know, you're on continuous dialysis and your filter clotted and you lost 300 mils of blood. And then, okay, like there's a lot of different things that can all tie into the whole picture. So I think it's really important that as we consider do we transfuse or not? We need to understand, too, what is that entire clinical picture in addition to the stability of our patient. There's a really good podcast I've listened to that really jumps into, in about 15 minutes, how you clinically assess a patient from a provider standpoint 
on thrombocytopenia. So I'm going to provide a link to that because I thought it was a really good episode. And then EM Crit has a great article that really delineates in, in a fairly long way the way in which we can think about the thrombocytopenia and all the possible causes. So that's a highly recommended article if you really want to dig into that topic at a greater level. So I think it's important though, is especially if you're a bedside nurse or advanced practice provider, to really try to gather all that information we're seeing in that clinical picture. But it's also, I think, important to understand what are we doing in terms of, do we have procedures coming up? Do we have a surgery coming up? Are we doing a situation or some sort of procedure that we really would like the platelets higher? You know, are we doing a situation where like, you're doing a spinal block, you know, typically they're going to want the platelets, you know, I've, I've read studies up over 80,000. Okay, that's important, you know, whereas if we have platelets sitting around 50,000, there's still situations where you could probably place central lines, etc. And it's going to be fine. But these are all the things you're thinking about in terms of if we should or should not give platelets. So we finally got to the point where we said, hey, yes, we're going to give platelets. So what on earth goes into giving platelets? I think it's first important to talk about what do we mean when we say a unit of platelets? And I think there's two primary ways in which we refer to a unit of platelets. There's two ways we can gather platelets. The first is called apheresis. So apheresis-derived platelets come from a single donor. So a donor has blood removed from them, the platelets are removed, and everything else is returned to the patient. These typically, one apheresis-derived unit, will be able to increase a patient's platelet levels by about 25,000 to 35,000. The other option are called pooled platelets. So one unit of pooled platelets, which this means the platelets come from multiple donors, Typically, one pooled unit will increase a patient's platelet count by about five to 6,000 platelets. Now, often what can happen is that you will get five to six pooled units combined together. And so they're often around 200 or so mils, though sometimes you'll see a varying amount depending on the specifics. And of course, remember with our platelets, that sometimes they can have a little bit of red blood cell staining in them still. So sometimes they're a little bit discolored. You can also see with platelets that there will be sometimes some plasma still in there, or maybe a few white blood cells. And so that can adjust the volume on our platelets. Now, when our platelets are gathered from our donors, they're stored at room temperature. And because of this, their shelf life is pretty short. Our, our platelets typically are going to last about five to seven days or so. And so because of that, platelets often are a little bit more in shorter supply. And in addition to being shorter supply, we're also looking at a very significant concern with our platelets, which is bacterial contamination. Why? Because they're stored at room temp, and that's an optimal temperature for bacteria to grow. And so that's something that we're always thinking about when we transfuse platelets is the concern for infection. Platelets typically do not undergo ABO matching, which is important to understand. Now, we could still have some white blood cells in our platelets. We could still have some RBCs in there. We could have some plasma in there. So there's still a potential for that immune response to occur when we transfuse platelets. And in fact, it looks like the incidence levels of the more mild reaction to 
to platelets is a bit higher than the other blood products. So it's something to keep an eye out when we're giving our platelets. Now with platelets, typically because they're stored at room temperature, we want to keep them at room temperature. So if you receive them from blood bank, they normally feel like they're at room temp, which of course, if you get a room temp, you know, packed red blood cells, you're a little worried, like what's going on? But remember with platelets, that's normal. We're also going to think about platelets if we receive them up in like a mass transfusion box. Remember with that, they're typically on the outside of the box. So the box is a cooler. We typically have in that our other blood products, but on the outside of it is typically our platelets. And so with our platelets, again, we want to make sure that we keep them at that room temperature. They're very sensitive to temperature swings because that can inactivate our platelets. That's why with platelets, we don't do certain things with them. So we don't want to expose them to a blood warmer or a mass transfusion, especially because they often are warming the blood products. Now, temperature is really important when we're giving blood products. Hypothermia can exacerbate coagulopathy. And so, of course, if you have a hemorrhaging patient, we want to get the blood products in to stop the hemorrhaging. But if we're dumping cold blood products into a patient, well, that makes the situation worse. And so we want to use a warmer. And that's why, you know, a lot of our mass transfusers are going to warm our blood products. But with platelets, we don't want to expose them to the warmer. And so because of that, we are not going to put them through blood warmers. We also want to remember that platelets are a bit delicate. So if you're trying to get things in quickly, you get impatient, and you just put it up, gravity, and you put it in that pressure bag, and you start pumping that pressure bag up, again, we can damage our platelets. So we really don't want to pressure bag platelets. I like to give my platelets more gently. So that's either it's gravity or it's through a pump. And again, a more gentle rate to get the platelets into our patient. Now, of course, we're going to use a blood filter and we're also going to use our normal saline to prime our line and flush our line. With platelets, like we had mentioned, we're a little more concerned with a little bit higher incidence level of having some of those more mild allergic reactions and the concern for bacterial infection. So what we want to do is really watch for signs of infection and signs of reaction. So for me, with all blood products, but I think this is a good time to highlight the way we establish our baseline. The baseline is important. For me, that's continuous temp monitoring. I think that's just a standard I like to do now. Even if you have an awake patient, I often will just take one of the esophageal, rectal, the long temp probes, place it axillary, tape it to the patient, and just leave it there for a few hours. I just tell them, hey, sometimes with platelets, we might have a little bit higher chance of having a mild reaction, and the temperature gives it away. Do you mind if I just place the temp probe? And I can promise you 99 out of 100 people are like, sure, that sounds good. So that's something I really like to do. Again, with temperature, I'm more concerned about the delta than the raw number per se, but it is really helpful. Also looking for just like a vital baseline. And so for me, it's that mental snapshot of saying, okay, here's my heart rate, here's my BP. If I have more invasive hemodynamic monitoring, like what's my CVP, what are my PA pressures? Establish the baseline, establish my heart rate baseline. I think it's really helpful. The other one too is, so some, I've had a couple of patients with reactions before and you'll see it on their chest. You see it's kind of that red rash itching develop on their chest. And so for me, I like to look at the patient's chest 
some patients are already, their chest is just red or they already had a little bit of a rash. And so I just like to just make sure that wasn't there before. It's really helpful. And then if my patient's awake, I love to tell them, hey, here's some of the things we're looking for if we do have a reaction to the blood product. And we can talk about the itching. We can talk about a rash. And and they can then let me know. I let them know, hey, do you have any kind of increased difficulty breathing? If you have any kind of wheezing, like let me know about those sorts of things. And that's really helpful because I think a lot of patients, the more you tell them, the more they feel included in the entire process. And I think it just makes the day go a lot better. And I think it helps you because you have another person giving you the information that you really need. After we finished our platelet transfusion, we would then hopefully reassess our platelet levels. And ideally we will see an increase in about, by about 25,000 to 35,000 platelets per microliter. Remember too, as always, we could see a allergic reaction or the, the concern for bacterial infection potentially the next day. And so again, it's important to remember, okay, did we receive blood products the day before? I think that's helpful too. If you're coming on into the shift, but this was done two shifts ago, it's something to keep in the back of your mind and not forget that just because it was given 24, 36 hours ago, especially with platelets, if we have an increase in temperature over this time or we see other signs for that infection, we want to keep that in mind. Well, this concludes our platelets episode, and this concludes the four episodes on blood products. So we're going to move next into the clotting cascade. So the start of that will be 20 minutes trying to cover all the high points of clot formation. And then after that, there will be some subsequent episodes going into more detail about the critical parts of our clotting cascade. As always, I really appreciate any kind of feedback or thoughts people have on terms of whatever it may be. If we want more depth, less depth, keep them a little shorter, or if you're okay with a little more length. Um, I just am super thankful for the feedback I've received to kind of help guide the way in which this podcast grows. <laughs>